0: Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. (music) Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, February 19th, 2021, and we are already in the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday was just two days ago, and people gathered to receive ashes in a in a relatively new way for many people, but a very traditional way throughout our church's history, rather than the ashes being smeared in a cross form on the foreheads uh, to avoid physical contact and maintain with social distancing in the midst of this continuing pandemic, which we hope and pray is in its latter days. Instead, the ashes were sprinkled over the crown of the head, uh, which is also a very ancient uh, means of receiving ashes for Ash Wednesday. But we are now in the season of Lent, which, as we all know, is our preparation for the great feast of Easter, a day that is so important it stands really at the very head of our calendar every year, the season of Easter. And as I always like to remind congregations at the beginning of Lent, Easter is so important today that it takes us 50 days to celebrate it and 40 days to prepare for it. 40 days being the season of Lent from Ash Wednesday up through Easter, and 50 days of the Easter season from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. A lot of people don't quite realize that Easter is 50 days long. Uh, I recall a few years back I was doing a wedding at uh, Mission Dolores Basilica here in San Francisco, California, and it was the Saturday before Pentecost, so it's the second-to-last day of the entire Easter season. And, of course, the wedding coordinator, who did not work for the church, Uh, or the mission basilica, uh, was getting things ready. And at one point, she insisted that the statue of that risen Jesus just had to come down from the sanctuary. It just didn't look good. She didn't like it. It had to come down. And I said, no, we need to keep it up. It's Easter. Whereupon, she looked at me as if I was somewhat screwy. And she said, Father, Easter was six weeks ago. To which I simply responded, Easter is 50 days long. And It goes on until tomorrow, which was Pentecost. So a lot of people don't realize that Easter is 50 days long. So important a feast is it. And we prepare it in a season, a period of 40 plus days as we engage in disciplines and penances and sacrifices to prepare ourselves for the annual feast of Easter. But it's an interesting time for Catholics. First of all, it begins on Ash Wednesday. And every now and again, I'll run into someone, sometimes they're Catholic, most of the time they're not, uh, either in passing or sometimes even on news reports, uh, where people, some people seem to think that Ash Wednesday is the Wednesday of Holy Week, the Wednesday right before Easter. But no, Ash Wednesday is the very first day of Lent. It begins Lent. And some only observe Ash Wednesday during Lent. that's, That's the main day, and they they, they do very little else. That's the big day for many, many people. Uh, they receive the Ashes on Ash Wednesday, but some don't follow through with the rest of Lent, except insofar as they uh, come to Mass on Easter Sunday. But we know the season of Lent is a time of fasting and abstinence, a time in which we give things up. We don't eat meat on Fridays. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people approach Lent Only in that fashion. In in other words, they have a a rather negative approach to Lent. Even if it's something they look forward to and something they engage in, they they approach it negatively. They speak of it negatively. They say Lent is about giving things up. It's about fasting and sacrifice. Some say it's a sacrifice to punish us for sin rather than as an exercise to strengthen us spiritually. And I have used it. I have heard uh, Cardinal Dolan in New York make reference to Uh, Lent as a kind of spiritual spring training for Christian people as our preparation for Easter, in which we engage in these disciplines and traditional practices and sacrifices in order to strengthen us, strengthen our stamina, strengthen our relationship with God, and strengthen our relationship with one another as church. And People tend to think of that negatively because why? It's something that can be difficult at times and, and for many people is difficult like any exercise would be. and as such, it invites temptation. Just like any physical exercise if you were to say, okay I've decided I'm going to do 50 push-ups. It's going to be difficult the first few times you try it and early on, say after the first 10 push-ups or 15 your body is starting to get tired, and is starting to say, look, why don't we just stop after 25 push-ups, or maybe, maybe 20, no, 10 push-ups, that'll be it. But as any coach would tell you, when you engage in an exercise, you've got to keep going. Any coach will tell you, keep going, keep pushing it, keep pushing it, keep going. And when we keep that pattern up, we keep doing those exercises every day, and don't let up, and don't give up, we strengthen our body physically, and it's the same thing with the season of Lent. We engage in these practices and engage in these sacrifices. We invite temptation, temptation to bring those things we gave up back early or to not engage in the communal practices that we do during the season of Lent. But if we approach this the right way, then the result of Lent is to grow closer to God, especially in in matters of prayer, grow stronger in matters of self-control and and moderation. But also, if we lean on the community with the knowledge that everyone is going through this as well, everyone is engaging in these 40 plus days of Lent, then that helps us and gives us the inner strength to maintain, even when we have begun uh, personally exercises that might be somewhat challenging, we turn in a time of temptation to God. Temptation is designed to turn us away from God, and we turn that temptation into an exercise in which we fall more onto God's grace and draw strength and encouragement from the community to maintain and endure. So we go closer to God, and we feel a stronger connection with one another as a church, knowing that we're all in this together. We're all doing this together, and we don't give up when we are tempted to take back what we have given up. We don't give up when we are tempted to not participate in the communal activities that are involved in the season of Lent, and hopefully by the end of Lent, we are stronger individuals than we were when we began, even in small, small ways, and perhaps even very significant ways. To see it as a positive step, you know, when our children are involved in sports, we don't see practice as something negative. It may be difficult, and it may tire them out, but we see practice as something that is important to develop their skills and their stamina so that they can play the game. It's the same thing with Lent. Just as we don't look at sports practice negatively, we shouldn't look at Lent negatively. But what is it that we do during the season of Lent? Well, there are two types of things we do. And it's not either or, it's, it's, it's both and, really. There are things that we do individually. Uh, personal sacrifices and practices. The things we give up for Lent. Maybe it's a bad habit we want to get away from. Maybe it's a sin we see that we have returned to that we want to give up, hopefully with an eye to giving it up permanently beyond Lent. Something perhaps we take for granted that we can live without, but we take for granted and we we deprive ourselves of something. And so the individual sacrifices we do, but not only that, we engage in activities of prayer and almsgiving. Engaging in what are called the three pillars of piety for Christian people prayer, fasting, and almsgiving during the season of Lent. So there are things that we do individually, but there are also things that we do together as church. And those are, of course, the days of fasting and abstinence. What are some of the things people think about when they think of Lent? They think of fasting, they think of meatless Fridays. And again, they approach it negatively, but we could see it rather positively, because this is something we engage in together as a church. And The days of fasting, of course, are Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. So, of course, as of the publication of this podcast, we have already completed one day of fasting, and we have one day left. And what are those practices of fasting? Well, let me tell you, I have heard a number of variations of it. Of what it means to fast, what is the practice of fasting. But the two most common that I have seen and that I have read and that I have encouraged is uh, fasting is basically you skip one meal and then engage in two light meals that would constitute a full meal if taken together. So skipping one meal and two half meals is a form of fasting. Another form that I have participated in is to skip a meal, then a light meal and then a full meal in no particular order. And it's basically curtailing the amount that we eat. And we engage in that together as a community of faith. Also, the days of abstinence are, of course, Ash Wednesday and Fridays. And those are days in which we as Catholics don't eat meat. Now, some of us may remember that Lent used to be a little more stringent than what we have now. Right now, it's just the two days of fasting and the days of abstinence on Ash Wednesday and the Fridays during Lent. But it used to be much harsher. A time was when every day of Lent was a day of fasting, where you curtailed what you ate. Every day during the season of Lent, except on Sundays, because that was every Sunday is a day in which we celebrate the resurrection. So as a community, that is not a day that we as a community would fast. But also, time was when every Friday throughout the entire year was a day of abstinence. And many bishops today are encouraging us to return to that on our own rather than as a matter of obligation. But because we see the value of doing that as part of our our identity as Christians, as part of our identity as Catholics, and I know of many families and uh, many uh, faith communities that do that all throughout the course of the year. So when you look at how it used to be, The way we do it today really doesn't ask too much of us, except an awareness that in these practices of fasting and abstinence, these are not individual practices. These are things we do together as a community of faith. And so we engage in both types of practice during the season of Lent, things that we do together and things that we do separately. And we're called to to go in with uh, full honesty and even an eagerness with a positive attitude toward what we do during the season of Lent. But I have to say, as a priest, since I was ordained a priest, and uh, even before that, in my years as a deacon, and my years as a seminarian, I've always uh, seen the different ways people approach Lent, the different ways Catholics approach Lent, and sometimes they want to bounce these off the priest that they know, hoping that they can find some way to, to get around these different practices. And so I always like to say that, that Lent is an interesting time for Catholics because it's a time in which Catholics either engage in uh, sacrifices or they engage in excuses. They make sacrifices or they make excuses. They either show what strong and good Catholics they are, or they demonstrate what good lawyers they are. Because more often than not, people in general don't really know the practices of Lent, but I'll tell you, they sure as heck know the exceptions and the loopholes to getting out of these practices and to finding ways to make it more palatable or to water it down or lighten it up or make it easier on them. And sometimes you might even find priests guiding people accordingly, where they'll say, "Yo, if you find it too hard, why don't you try this or try that? And all I can say is, if you ever find you're encountering a priest who advises you in anything, but we'll just keep this in the context of Lent. If you ever encounter a priest who advises you in such a way as to make it easier, run far, run fast, okay? <laughs> now, it doesn't mean we're, we're there to make it harder. We're not there to make it harder on you. I mean, we're not there, as Jesus says, to pile on heavy burdens and then not lift a finger to, to lift them, because we engage in these practices ourselves. Everyone is in this—priests, religious, laypeople, bishops—everyone engages in these practices during the season of Lent. But our job is not to make it easier, but rather to walk with you and do it with you and encourage you, and together as a community, encourage each other, not to give you ways in which you can get around it to make it easier, not to make it necessarily harder on you or more burdensome but to approach these basic practices of Lent with honesty, with integrity, and with a certain degree of enthusiasm as Catholic people, because this is a very important time for all of us. And so in my years as a priest, I've often heard people come up with these various newfangled ways of approaching Lent that in many ways fall short. And as a priest, I encourage them to not go along with these newfangled ways that they or some priest has has given them but rather to embrace the practices that we we do because they are very very valuable and all of these basically reflect a reality that in engaging these practices we invite temptation and when we find these newfangled ways to making lent more palatable or easier we are in fact giving into temptation so here are some of the Uh, sayings that I've heard people give me over the years, where they'll say, well, Father, I don't give something up for Lent. I do something extra. And sometimes I'll ask them, really? That's wonderful. What is the extra thing that you're doing? And sometimes they have to think about it for a while, because really, if if they aren't giving up something, they really aren't doing anything else. But the idea to remember is we engage in the three pillars of piety. Piety all three during the season of Lent. It's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, not prayer, fasting, or almsgiving. It's not one or the other. It's all three together. So when a person is saying, I don't give something up, I do something extra, something special, something nice. And that's terrific. You're engaging in the almsgiving portion of Lent, but we're still called to engage in the fasting portion as well, the giving up of something for Lent personally, and when we encounter temptation and experience temptation, then we turn to God in prayer, and then we have all three of those practices together. So it's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, not prayer, fasting, or almsgiving. Another thing people will say to me is, well, Father, I don't give up one thing for all 40 days of Lent. I give up something different each day. Now, folks, ask yourself this question. What kind of a sacrifice is that? How is that in any way challenging or in any way an act of discipline, uh, self-restraint, and inner stamina? Again, I'm giving up chocolate for one day, knowing I'm going to take it back the next. I'm giving up coffee for one day, knowing I'm going to give up something else the next day. I'm going to give up uh, video games, knowing I'm going to take it back the next day or give up drinking, how hard is that sacrifice and there are many things where we would only do something for one day we don't engage in it in long periods of time and so to give something up for simply one day, first of all how easy really is it to think of 40 things to give up over the course of Lent but also the challenge is much greater our commitment is much stronger when we pick one thing that we will focus on throughout the course of of Lent. And so giving up something for just one day is hardly a sacrifice because we can survive just one day. It's stretching it out over 40 days. Another thing I will hear people say uh, during the season of Lent is that, well, Father, on Fridays, I don't really abstain from meat or I don't really fast on the days of fasting because I personally don't get anything out of it. There are actually two approaches people have to not fasting or not engaging in the days of abstinence. And one is they simply say, I don't get anything out of it. To which I like to remind them, it's not just about you. It's not just about me. This is something we do together as a community of faith, as a church. And the value is not so much what we get out of it, but in our connection with the community. It's something we do together. It's what identifies us as a community of faith. Very much like, you may as well say, well, I don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving because I don't get anything out of it. Well, on the one hand, you know, what's the issue here? But on the other, this is what we do as a nation. It connects us with everybody. Think of it, on Thanksgiving, people travel more than they do any other day of the year to come together for a meal that involves, more often than not, eating turkey. And it connects us as family and connects us with the wider nation who observes Thanksgiving. We shoot fireworks on the 4th of July as an observance that we do as a community. And so to say I don't engage in fasting or abstinence because I don't get anything out of it, in a way we're neglecting our place in the community. In fact, many people will say, you know, I don't see it as a sin. What is sinful about eating meat on Fridays? And I will say nothing is sinful about eating meat on Fridays. What is sinful is the disposition that leads to that practice, that leads to that action. And that's the disregard for our place in a wider community of faith that is the church. And all of us together are going through this season of Lent, and this is what we do together as a church. Other people will say, I don't engage in fasting or abstinence because I really don't see it as a sacrifice. And there I will agree with you. It's not a sacrifice. It's an observance. It's not a sacrifice. Fish sticks are a sacrifice. Trust me. But abstinence is not about fasting or sacrifice. It's about abstaining. And it's not that we can't eat meat on Fridays, it's because we don't eat meat. This is something we don't do as Catholics, and it, again, reminds us, we are all in this together. But, you know, one could have a very nice fish meal, but abstinence is not the same as fasting, and abstinence is not really a sacrifice, but rather an observance, something we do together. And I've also, of course, had people tell me, well, Father, what if you're a vegetarian? To which I I simply say, well, then it's easy for you. You know, it's something you already do. And we do it with you and you do it with us on this particular day. So again, fasting and abstinence is something we don't do as individuals. It's something we do as a community of faith. Another thing I'll often hear, and uh, sometimes pastors and teachers go out of their way to remind people of this, is that, well, I'm underage or I'm overage, so I'm exempt. I don't have to engage in the practices of fasting and abstinence during Lent. Unfortunately, I've even uh, known families who will cook something in which they are, the adults are participating, but they'll cook something for the children that is something with meat in it. I was even at a school once in which a parent on a Friday during Lent brought lunch for her child's class, and it was a meat lunch. And when I brought it to the attention of the principal, the principal said, well, they're not 14 yet. They don't have to do it. But the thing is, many people approach it as a kind of elitism. I'm old enough to be above the practice. Health issues obviously are a factor that need to be taken into consideration. And people with serious health issues in which fasting will affect them negatively, then obviously they are exempt in that matter. But it's not that you don't have to. It's that you are not under obligation when you are under 14, and I believe it's over 60. But the question there is, why do you need an obligation? Are you spiritually mature enough that you don't need an obligation to do something that is of great value in your relationship with God and to our relationship and connection with one another as church? It's like, you know, your parents taught you to cross the street and look both ways before you do so. Do you still need your holy mother to hold your hand and tell you to look both ways before you cross the street? Well, your holy mother or your holy father might not be there to hold your hand, but that doesn't mean it's not a good practice to look both ways before you cross the street. In the same way, one may not be under obligation, but one still should see it as, I must do this because I am a part of the church. And to a certain degree, Saying that a person over a certain age is not under obligation shows a great respect for the elders in our midst. And a recognition and even an expectation that once a person reaches a certain age, they really shouldn't need Holy Mommy Church to hold their hand and tell them to look both ways before they cross the street. Or to hold their hand and tell them you can't eat meat because you're under obligation. And how many of us know people who are well over the necessary age, who still continue to practice fasting and abstinence because they identify as part of the church. So when people say, I'm over or under a certain age, so I don't have to, I like to make that perspective a little clear. Yes, you have to, you're just not under obligation. And hopefully those who are the elders of our community of faith don't need an obligation they don't need to be told they have to do something before they engage in practices that are beneficial to the community and to themselves. But it's also, with regard to those who are younger than 14, it shows a great deal of respect for the importance of families and teachers. Your children don't need an obligation because the parents presumably are teaching them the practice. How condescending would that be for a parent to be told by the church Your child is under obligation. A parent would say, excuse me, I'm already teaching them. They don't need the church to tell them they're under obligation. We are teaching them the practice so that when they are old enough to be under obligation, they can engage it on their own. So children don't need an obligation if parents are teaching them the practice. And imposing an obligation is just somewhat disrespectful to parents and teachers in their role in bringing children up in the faith. So when people use age being overage or underage, as a reason not to engage in these practices. Make that distinction. It's not that you don't have to. It's that you are not under formal obligation. And simply because it's understood, children are being taught by their parents and teachers, so why would they need an obligation? And elders hopefully are mature enough spiritually that they don't need to be told they have to do something before they do it. And one of my all-time favorite comments during the season of Lent, these loopholes that people love to look for, all-time favorite is they say, well, Father, Sundays don't count. So whatever I've given up for Lent, I'll do it on Sunday. I've given up coffee, I'll have coffee on Sunday. I've given up drinking, drink on Sunday. I've given up smoking, smoke on Sundays. Because Sundays don't count. And I have run into some of the most traditional, so-called traditional Catholic families who have maintained that and even teach their children that. Let them play their video games on Sunday. But let's really examine that for a moment. Sundays do count. Because after all, the day after tomorrow is Sunday. It's Friday as this podcast is being published. The day after tomorrow is Sunday. But it's the first Sunday of what? Lent. Lent. The Sunday after that will be the second Sunday of Lent. It may be Sunday, but it is still Lent. It's not that the Sundays don't count. It's that they are not counted among the 40 days of Lent. All in all, Lent is roughly 46 days, but Sunday is not counted among the 40 days. But there was a time when the understanding was Sundays don't count, but it was not for the individual sacrifices we engage in. The individual practices and sacrifices aren't applicable to the notion that Sundays don't count. Where did that come from? Well, when every day of Lent was a day of fasting, remember I mentioned it a little earlier, when every day of Lent was a day of fasting, Sundays were not a day of communal fasting. When we fasted every day together as a community, we did not fast on Sundays. And so Sundays don't count applied to the communal activity of fasting. It did not apply to the individual sacrifices, which we still gave up on Sunday. Now we only have two days of fasting. So the Sunday doesn't count theory no longer applies. But also ask yourself, does it really make sense? Okay, I've given up coffee, but Sunday I can binge I've given up video games, so Sunday I can lose myself in video games. We give up things to invite temptation, and when we are tempted, we resist that temptation to make us stronger. So does it make any sense that on the day we dedicate to God, the day of the Lord is the day we give in to temptation? We use our excuse to take back what we gave up, the fact that it's the day of the Lord, it doesn't make any sense. So when you think about it, Sunday is not a day that doesn't count. Because it is the day of the Lord, and this is a Sunday of Lent, it should be a day that counts more. It is a day in which we should double down on what we have given up, rather than give in to the tempter on a day dedicated to the Lord. So that's just something to consider as we, as we uh, come to these days of Lent, which hopefully, hopefully... You, and hearing this in this broadcast uh, on this Friday, after Ash Wednesday, have already decided how you're going to observe this season of Lent. That's another thing I, I run into with people. I'll see them on the first Sunday of Lent, and I'll say, oh, what did you give up for Lent? And they'll say, I haven't decided yet. To which I say, well, we're already four or five days into it. Better late than never. Hopefully we've considered this even days before the season of of Lent even began, days before Ash Wednesday. But hopefully we are not approaching Lent negatively, that we do see it as something positive. And like any exercise, it gets tough and can sometimes be very challenging and hard, and especially the longer we engage in this. But the more we maintain the more we resist, the more we turn to God in prayer and lean on one another as a community of faith, the stronger we get. So have a great Lent. Give up something challenging. Give up something you do a lot of. Give up something that won't kill you to give it up for a while. Again, what sense does it, does it make to give up something you never do? You know, What did you give up for Lent? Smoking. Oh, you smoke? No? Well then, what good is it to give that up? Or maybe once a week, you give up something that you only do once a week. Give up something that you do a lot of, but still can live without. That might be a bit of a challenge. In talking to the children at school, I always uh, give them a hard time. I say, you know, first graders give up candy. Eighth graders give up video games. And they look at you like you're crazy. And yet, it could be a very good thing for teenagers to give up. Technology and video games. I often like to tell the kids at school, especially the eighth graders, I tell them video games are the easiest thing in the world to give up. You pack up the video game and you give it to your parents and tell them, put it away somewhere where I won't find it. And the parents help them to give it up. So even when they beg the parents to let them play video games, the parents don't tell them where they hid it. They don't let them have it. In many ways, it's like Uh, Ulysses being tied to the mast during his voyage as he's sailing past the island of the Harpies. All his sailors had wax in their ears, but he had them tie him to the mast and said, no matter what you hear me say, do not untie me. But then at a certain point he's begging them to untie him because he wants to jump in the water and go to the Harpies. It's the same thing with giving up video games. And I tell the teenagers, it's the easiest thing to give up because you have parents who can help you stick with it. Parents can make that decision for their children. Recognize what they tend to be doing a lot of and maybe could be doing less of. Be leaders as parents of your children. Be shepherds of your children. Give up something challenging. Something that might be even healthy but challenging to give up for Lent. For some, it's coffee. Other, it's Diet Coke. Other, it's, it's drinking. Some, it's smoking. I knew someone who uh, learned that Mother Teresa's community of the Missionaries of Charity uh, don't have hot water. So they bathe or shower in cold water, and they said, well, maybe that's something I could give up for Lent, hot water in my shower. That's something that the poor certainly don't have a lot of, and something perhaps we take for granted. I knew someone who, in addition to doing that, and this was a a young teenager who decided he was going to give up hot water in his shower, and he was also going to give up his bed. He was going to sleep on the floor in a sleeping bag during the season of Lent, give up the comfort of his bed. And these are very creative things to consider for the season of Lent, and I've only given you just a few. But think of something serious that could be a real challenge, something that will invite temptation. But with the encouragement of family and friends and uh, knowing that the community of faith is with you and standing with you, that gives us the stamina to continue and to uh, maintain. And then when we look back on Easter Sunday and we take back these things, imagine giving up hot water in your shower. Imagine the feeling of resurrection you're going to have on Easter Sunday. And that's the idea. For almsgiving and prayer, come together as a family every night and pray together. If you don't already pray the rosary together every night, say, we're going to start doing that during Lent. Come together and before you retire for the night. Offer a prayer and pray together as a family. Engage in almsgiving together as a family. In addition to remembering to fast and abstain on the appropriate days, together with the rest of the church. So make Lent a time of strength and growth when we turn to God and we just dive in rather than give in to the tempter, looking for loopholes and exceptions. Showing how we are better lawyers than better Catholics. Making Lent a time in which we Either make sacrifices or make excuses. But let us approach the season of Lent really with a great enthusiasm and really a time of thanksgiving for the many gifts that God has given us. And how do we recognize that? Because we offer those gifts back to God for this season of Lent, looking forward to the day we'll take them back. So have a great Lent. And I hope it's a time of great enrichment for everybody, hopefully a time of great strength for everybody, in which we are all in this together. We encourage one another, and with stamina, grace, and encouragement, it will be a Lent to remember, among many other Lents to come. So I thank you all for joining me today. I look forward to being with you again next week with another topic. All the best to you. God bless. Take care. <music>